going on veterinary anesthesia nerds? Thank you for joining me for this special kind of quick off the cuff episode. Uh, I am joined by none other than Steven Sattal and you guys know him. Um, very fantastic wealth of knowledge and everything when it comes to research, pain management, anesthesia, all of that. Uh, one of the administrators of the veterinary anesthesia nerds and just a wealth of information. The reason that I decided to do kind of an off-the-cuff episode today and the reason that I really reached out to Steven um, is because we see a lot in the Anesthesia Nerds Facebook chat, a lot of people sending home surgical patients, especially our avariohysterectomy patients, home with gabapentin for acute pain. So maybe we'll see them send home gabapentin for three or even five days post-surgery. Um, these are usually patients that are not started on gabapentin prior, um, and we're using gabapentin maybe sometimes in conjunction with an NSAID, or maybe sometimes if a clinician is worried about giving an NSAID to a patient, they'll use gabapentin or maybe even in a higher dose. And I really wanted to jump on here, have a little talk with Steven again, because he is such a wealth of information when it comes to what does the research say, and talk to you guys about maybe some alternatives that we could use and how, if you want to use gabapentin, how can we use gabapentin properly? So thanks for coming on, Stephen. Thanks for having me. This is quite the conundrum we keep having, isn't it? Yes. <laughs> so um, everybody knows that we we want to be all about the, the evidence and, and what does the evidence say. And certainly when I read it, and Stephen, give us your opinion, but it's pretty conflicting. I mean, we have a study from like 2015, I think out of South America that said those dogs undergoing a mastectomy did see some opioid reduction. But then in the end, in the results, they also did say that they didn't see a difference in the overall pain scoring. Then there is uh, another study showing absolutely no difference or no benefit of gabapentin at a short period for acute pain. Uh, and the human literature seems to be the same, that yeah. some of them do show a difference in opioid sparing, some of them don't. Mm. So right now, in, just in the context of acute surgical pain, what does the evidence say with gabapentin and what are your thoughts? Yeah, so I'm going to speak not only from the veterinary side, but also the human side, because this this is a... a emerging issue within the human world as well, especially since there's a lot of concern with using opioids and sending home opioids for human patients and, and potentially um, some diversion or addiction problems associated with that. When it comes to acute pain uh, in animals, the evidence is definitely lacking. Um, it, it's definitely considered a low to, yeah, it's, it's considered a low a low threshold for the quality of evidence that is out there for veterinary patients. That's not to say, however, that we can't use gabapentin more efficiently uh, in multimodal drug protocols. But I think really that the idea behind this podcast today is for those people that are using it as the solo or only agent that they're sending home for pain management in animals. And frankly, you know, this idea of we're also doing local blocks doesn't really cut it in my book either. Because uh, if you're not using Noceta, you're only getting a few hours worth of pain relief, and then you're ramping up um, as that, that local block starts to wear off. And even if you are using something like Noceta, which is great, you get, you know, generally 72 hours worth of, of um, efficacy with that particular drug. 
if you don't instill that drug appropriately, if that animal has a weird metabolism or whatever, we can't guarantee that 72 hours. And we also need to understand the general inflammatory process is kind of happening at its its peak for 96 hours after you make acute surgical incisions or there's acute trauma that happens to soft tissue. So you have a 96 hour window to cover and gabapentin, unless you're and, and this is this is also somewhat controversial, right? Unless you're preloading with gabapentin days before the event, acutely, you're probably not even getting any efficacy uh, as far as pain management. And, and similar to the conversations that we had to have with tramadol, sedation or, or lack of um, engagement with the environment does not necessarily equate to analgesia. Just because you're stoned doesn't mean you're not in pain. Um, which is something that we see on the human side. And, and we're definitely starting to see in some of the literature. There was a paper I was reading today from uh, the American Academy of Family Physicians finding issue um, with, uh, and, and this was a, a big review study of all the, the human literature out there. And they found in human medicine, the evidence is, is quite low, again, for acute pain. And even some of these chronic pain states, which was which something that really stood out to me for the chronic pain states in humans is you only get about 30 to about just over 50% of people with chronic pain conditions uh, saying that they are positively uh, impacted by gabapentin or that they're getting real analgesic relief. 30 to 50%, that's low. That's, that's not great. And the other thing that really stood out to me with these particular studies is the dosing of gabapentin, which I thought was was crazy in human medicine because we don't typically go this high in veterinary medicine. And we know in general, animals need much higher doses of drugs compared to humans. So in a human study where they were getting around 50% efficacy for chronic pain states in people, they were using uh, uh, 14 to 44 milligrams per kilogram. That's a huge, huge dose compared to what we're using, which most people are using in veterinary medicine, right? So they start off with a four mg per kg dose, which is about 300 milligrams. If you're, if you're averaging, the average American is 180 pounds. Uh, it's around four mg per kg. And then they ramp up over the weeks and try to get to the sweet spot of 14 to 20 mg per kg, where most people say they get that 50% um, or we have a reduction in pain by around 50%. Uh, but there are other people that need to go up to 44 mg per kg, which is, it, that's a significant dose. And I mean, we're not getting that high in animals and we're certainly not doing this dose escalation and de-escalation uh, as religiously as maybe we should, um, <laughs> which, is, which is kind of interesting and, and, and disappointing. But either way, the, 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 the answer to your question is the evidence is poor, very, very poor for acute pain. Uh, in animals and um, is is really concerning because I think we're just kind of stuck in this spot where we were at with tramadol years ago. And I think this is my prediction. This is my postulation. I don't, I can't guarantee this yet, but I, I think we're going to have more and more studies really show that maybe it's not a successful or as successful drug for chronic pain either, um, at least in a, a certain population of our patients. Yeah, I agree. And looking, I mean, reading through human literature, you know, even for chronic and neuro chronic neuropathic pain, it's not consistent, right? The results aren't consistent, um, that it always works. So I think, you know, looking at the, the case of acute pain, 
Um, and we can come back to, to maybe the chronic pain in just a second. But really looking at the, acute, the case of acute pain, if we have clinicians out there and they are saying, listen, I've been sending home, you know, I have a, a Shih Tzu coming in for a spay and I've been sending them home with a non-steroidal plus gabapentin um, and you're saying maybe it doesn't work, what's an alternative that we can use as an analgesic so we're not sending these animals home with just an NSAID? Tylenol, Tylenol, my favorite um, analgesic for dogs, please don't use it in cats, but Tylenol, uh, acetaminophen or paracetamol, anywhere between five and 15 mg per kg. You can do that BID, which I personally do and, and find to have success, but I know our friends across across the pond are, are usually doing three times a day and they're usually doing around 10 mg per kg or higher. I am happy to get away with five mg per kg, but I'm not scared to go to 15 mg per kg if I have to. So definitely acetaminophen, which can be given with a non-steroidal anti-inflammatory. Um, and if you still want to have the, the gabapentin there, that's fine too. But at least we're, we're, we know that we are providing something that is going to give better analgesia for uh, those canine patients. For our cat friends, I mean, this is, we have so many options now, right? Uh, we, which is great. And I can't believe I just said that about cats, but we have things like Zorbium, which is a three-day buprenorphine. We have things like Simbadol, which is a 24-hour buprenorphine, which you can also use at standard buprenorphine hydrochloride dosing, just divided by the 1.8 instead of the 0.3 or 0.6 uh, mg per um, mil concentration. Uh, you can give that uh, trans, um, transmucosally, I mean, if you had a need, you could even squirt it up the nose. Uh, Dr. Messenger's lab did that cool study in dogs and found that you actually get much higher uh, uptake when giving it intranasally compared to oral transmucosally. Um, let's see, what else can we do in cats now for acute pain? Yeah, I really love the Zorbium, um, at least when I, I've worked at a couple dentistry specific places and when we have cats that have had multiple extractions, mm -hmm. especially, um, because, you know, owner compliance is what it is, mm -hmm. and they don't always understand that oral transmucosal does not mean down the cat's throat, swallow it, and it certainly doesn't mean put it on top of the cat's wet food and he'll eat it, yeah. uh, which I've had people tell me multiple times. Uh, but with the Zorbium, the nice thing is, you know, the, the owner doesn't even have to touch the cat's mouth, and that mm. the mouth with the sutures in it, oh, and like it can just heal. So for, for dentistry patients, we really do love the Zorbium in cats. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Now, something I want to touch on that you said that I think might be like a hot take is that in these canine patients, you can give Tylenol together with an NSAID. Yeah. Now, this seems like something we've been told we're not supposed to do. Oh God, I don't know where that came from. <laughs> um, you know, the mechanism of action is different, right? So NSAIDs are, are, are decreasing um, cyclooxygenase production and some other uh, inflammatory mediators. Um, there is a like smidge of that type of mechanism of action that happens with um, acetaminophen, but not to the extent that we need to be concerned about it. Um, acetaminophen, similar to cannabinoids, I'm not going to go on that topic today, um, has affinity for a lot of different uh, receptors out there. Um, there's some uh, discussion about uh, acetaminophen having affinity at some of even the opioid receptors, uh, having um, all kinds of different uh, effects on, on various different receptors, which is kind of cool because I like drugs like that because they're like their own multimodal uh 
protocol within themselves and it's with one molecule, which I think is kind of cool. So um, yeah, different, different mechanism of action, definitely safe to do. If you're a human patient, uh, you will notice that they give you an NSAID and acetaminophen together. It's, that's not uncommon. Um, yeah, that's where I'm at. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, same. I mean, when Oliver, uh, my son Oliver, not a cat, Oliver, when my son was uh, young and when he was cutting teeth, he would get really ridiculous fevers, like 104, mm -hmm. 105 sometimes. And it was the inflammation, right, of him cutting these teeth. And I remember calling the nurse the one time and she was like, yeah, I want you to alternate your doses of ibuprofen and Tylenol. Mm -hmm. And like every two hours, you know, one, give him ibuprofen, then give him Tylenol, then give ibuprofen, then give him Tylenol. And I was like, yeah, why aren't we doing this in dogs? <laughs> <laughs> you're, you're bringing up another point that's not really discussed in veterinary medicine uh, very much. And I'm hoping um, I'm headed to the pain forum, the pain short course uh, this next week. But uh, there's, there's kind of been this discussion about doing uh, pulse therapy with non-steroidal anti-inflammatories. I think we're all kind of trained that you need to give it consistently and you can't stop and you can't miss a dose. Otherwise you have to start all over and, you know, kind of that, that mantra of you start and you can never stop kind of thing. Now what we're showing is, or what we're seeing is you can have success with, with um, intermittent doses or decreased doses of the, the MIGS per K metric actually giving an animal, right? We want the lowest effective dose. Um, I think that's really cool. And it's, it's funny that we're just now crossing this bridge because we as humans, we do that for ourselves, right? Like, oh, my elbow hurts today. I'm going to take some ibuprofen. That doesn't mean I need to be taking it all the time. Uh, but we get efficacy with with a single dose. Um, and that's something that uh, I'm excited to see in, in veterinary patients. And I think we'll be, in the long run, a lot safer, especially for our cat friends or any other animals that are kind of prone to kidney disease. Yeah. I mean, that certainly makes sense. And you're right. That is how we would use the drug and... Yeah, of course. I don't know why we're not thinking of it like that. I don't know. We, you know, in Batman, we do get stuck in the like, well, we've always done it this way. Um, but here, you know, at anesthesia nerds, we're trying to bust some myths and, and use the new research. Um, going back to kind of gabapentin, sure. chronic pain and that kind of thing for a minute, uh, especially if we do have like chronic osteoarthritis or even a patient that has had um, a limb amputation or, you know, a really bad fracture that's healed. And we know we have some sort of neuropathic component to it. What is your thoughts or what does the research say looking at using something like a pregabalin instead of a gabapentin? Okay. So, um, it's interesting cause I'm still evolving on this. Um, and I, I understand you and Darcy were just at the pain forum and uh, there was certainly some talk that maybe pregabalin might be better. I think I'm finally kind of uh, crossing that threshold. I was being a little bit stubborn for no particular reason, just being <laughs> stubborn. Um, <laughs> so when we think about like the half-life of gabapentin, which doesn't necessarily equate to efficacy, I want to be very clear on that, but the half-life of gabapentin in humans is anywhere between five and seven hours. In our dog and cat friends, it's like two to four hours. Pre-gabalin, um, uh, it's half doses, or it's, sorry, it's half-life is around 10 hours in people and around seven hours in dogs. Um, I couldn't find the, the length of time for cats, but I'm assuming it's also longer. So as far as, as efficacy and, and maybe duration of action, it looks like pre-gabalin is probably uh, where things should be going. Um, it's also, 
I believe, a little bit easier for the body to metabolize. So you might get some benefits a little bit faster than than gabapentin, which is cool. Uh, I'm excited about that. Um, and also looks to be kind of the, the trend in human medicine as far as choosing regular gabapentin over, over pregabalin forms. And then, of course, there's the um, extended release products. I, I, I don't recall seeing any studies on those being used in animals yet. Do you? Yeah. I can't. At least I don't know. I come to you for all the studies, so. (laughs) Okay, great. So good information. I agree. And and based on what I heard at the the pain meeting in Atlanta, um, there are some trends going towards more um, use of pregabalin, Mm -hmm. you know, for neuropathic pain specifically, Mm -hmm. um, and not even messing with the gabapentin. looks like um, from what I'm hearing, better bioavailability and longer duration of action. So maybe that is the way that we're going to go when we're looking again at chronic neuropathic pain specifically. Again, this is not about acute surgical pain. Um, For that, use your acetaminophen, right? Or your Zorbium or something like that. Um, All right, great. Thank you, Stephen, so much for jumping on with us really quickly. Um, Again, this was not meant to be like a long drawn out podcast. This really was for today because... um, we get a lot of posts asking, what can I send home? Um, or I go into clinic and do relief. I know Stephen goes all over the place and hears from different people. And we're just seeing gabapentin kind of fall into that same trap that tramadol did, where we see a little bit of sedation and we assume that that means analgesia. Uh, or we'll see MAC reduction, and we assume that that means analgesia, right? And so we know with other drugs like acepromazine, et cetera, just because we have MAC reduction, just because we have sedation, that does not equal analgesia. So we want to make sure that we're looking at what does the evidence say and making sure that we're choosing the appropriate analgesic regimen for the type of pain that our patient is experiencing. Um, and that it makes sense for the species. And it also makes sense for the owners, right? I mean, with gabapentin, in order to really get a good effect from gabapentin, um, even in humans, they have to dose it, what, four times a day? And I know that we are not sending our our post-spay patients home with four times a day gabapentin. Mm -hmm. They're getting it twice a day at best. Mm -hmm. So again, Read, read up on this, you guys, and if you want to know more about different ways that you can um, create a post-operative analgesic protocol, just hit us up on the Anesthesia Nerds Facebook page and we can discuss it there. But all right. Thank you, Stephen, so much for getting on really quickly today and talking about what the research says. And hopefully we'll have even more information from you after you get back from that short course in North Carolina. Awesome. Thank you for having me.